That's Jill Scott. I'm Tavis Smiley, and you're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. Our phone number, 1-800-920-1580, 1-800-920-1580. More breaking news out of the uh, case, USA v. MRT. We've been updating you all morning long, as there seems to be a lot of movement today in this case. The jury, as you know, received the case last Friday uh, following closing arguments. They are now on day four of jury deliberations in this case that's being watched in this city, the county, the state, the region, the nation. This very powerful African-American elected official, Mark Whitley Thomas, on trial in this federal bribery case. We've been covering it every day uh, like a blanket here on KBLA Talk 1580 at uh, 435. I told you uh, last hour uh, that uh, our justice correspondent, Dion Raymond, who's been in the courthouse every day, uh, suggested that she thought there may be a verdict coming later today because the jury sent note number seven to the judge asking to deliberate until 4.30 p.m. today. Uh, they uh, usually uh, break uh, for the day at 2.30. This judge starts early, about 7.30, breaks at 2.30 for the day. Uh, but note number seven uh, delivered to the judge uh, an hour or so ago, asked to deliberate until 4.30 today. And then they sent note number eight with this question. Is official action taken, intended to be influenced or rewarded concerning county business unlawful? Is it unlawful uh, 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 action taken, intended or influenced or rewarded concerning county business? Is that unlawful? The attorneys agree and the judge uh, concurred and told the jury on that second question to refer back to the jury instructions that they were previously given. So we're uh, uh, through question or note number seven and number eight. And now, moments ago, um, uh, during that break, we heard from our justice correspondent, Dion Raymond, that they've been called back into the courtroom. Um, she rushed back in immediately. I don't know if that's for another question or to be told that the jury has, in fact, reached a verdict. But to all the lawyers... Uh, and media, all those persons who were in the courthouse, the federal courthouse in downtown, uh, were notified to return back in the courtroom. In the courtroom, of course, you cannot use uh, uh, smart devices, uh, nothing electronic uh, used in the courtroom. So whatever is happening inside that room right now, I do not know. Uh, but Dion uh, Raymond, our justice correspondent, is back in that room right now with everybody else. And I suspect in the next few moments, uh, minutes, uh, whatever's going on, uh, she will update us and I will bring that news to you. If there's a verdict, uh, when there's a verdict in this case, uh, we will um, get it to you immediately. If there is no verdict before 435 p.m. today, uh, of course, tune in as you have every day to Ariva Martin in real time at 435 p.m. for the daily download on what is happening in the case. But it could very well be the case. Um, that there's a verdict um, that's come forth and could be, for all I know, being read right now. I do not know. Uh, but again, as soon as Dion Raymond can get out of the courtroom and get back to her phone uh, legally, <laughs> we don't want her to uh, end up in jail herself uh, for violating the, the judge's orders in her courtroom. But we are waiting momentarily um, for an update from Dion Raymond about what's happening in the courtroom right now. Uh, but her sense is that there may be a verdict coming in this case today that's all i got for you right now when i know more you will know more stay tuned to kbla talk 1580 all day uh, for updates on this particular case and again if the verdict comes in after i'm off the air at 12 noon uh, i am not leaving the building today uh, so uh, i will be here or dominique de prima or Riva martin somebody will get on the air immediately and break into our regularly scheduled programming the minute we have a verdict 
in the case of USA v. MRT. But that's, again, all I have for you right now. That said, we'll commence our conversation uh, with our guest in this hour, and uh, we'll see what happens as we move through the next uh, 50 minutes between now and noon here on the West Coast. Um, in this hour, uh, joined by uh, Dr. Uh, Adia Gooden, a licensed clinical psychologist, speaker, writer, passionate, uh, is she about helping people cultivate unconditional self-worth. Her very popular TED Talk, Cultivating Unconditional Self-Worth, has resonated with millions of people. And in the talk, as she explores, Dr. Gooden does, the harmful impact of conditional self-worth and offers practical strategies for cultivating a stronger, more resilient sense of self. Um, I was just, uh, you know, empowered, inspired, enlightened. Uh, I could levitate out of this studio by the conversation we had in our last hour uh, with our guest, uh, Dr. Joshua Bennett, professor at Dartmouth, uh, about his childhood experiences uh, and what he endured and uh, was exposed to. Uh, that helped to shape his sense of self-worth, uh, self-worth that is, and what he's passing on now, uh, he and his wife Pam, to their two-year-old son, August. What a powerful hour. The last hour was, and I expect no less in this hour, as I welcome in Dr. Adia Gooden. Dr. Gooden, how are you today? I'm doing so well. Thank you so much for having me. It is my great delight, and I'm glad you are doing so well. Not just well, she said. I'm doing so well. I love that. <laughs> uh, I love the energy, and I will. Uh, I'll, I'll. I'll take some of that. I'll take some of that so well uh, for the rest of this day. But thank you for your time. Glad we've got the hour uh, to work through some of this. Um, Again, I said a moment ago, we had a great guest on in our last hour. I'm on here three hours a day, of course, Dr. Joshua Bennett out of Dartmouth, a great writer, great poet. Um, and I didn't know where the conversation was going to go. I never know where it's going to go. I don't know where this one's going to go. Um, but we got into some deep dialogue about his parents and all that he was exposed to as a child. And he said to us, this is a black man now, who was taught tenderness by his father. His black father taught mm -hmm. him tenderness. And when he got in trouble at school after working 10 hours on the overnight shift at the post office, he became a teacher's aide in Joshua's school to keep an eye on Joshua mm. and to keep Joshua out of trouble and keep him on the right path. And so all these stories, he, he went to see when he was a kid, Spike Lee's movie, Malcolm X. And he wanted to learn more about Malcolm. His mother took him to the bookstore and, and bought the book, the autobiography of Malcolm X. And I mean, all these wonderful stories he was sharing with us about his own childhood experiences uh, and how those helped to shape his sense of self-worth. Every one of us has our own journey. And we'll talk about that in this hour. But I thought I might start, having heard so powerfully from him, asking you a similar question uh, as we talk about uh, unconditional uh, self-worth and how to create it, to share a bit about your own personal journey of self-discovery and how these experiences you've had in your life uh, have influenced your work as a therapist, speaker, writer. And uh, once we hear a bit about your backstory, we'll jump from there if that's okay with you. That sounds great. Um, you know, so... When I think about my own sort of self-worth journey and what has both contributed to me having a sense of unconditional self-worth and the things that have made it harder, you know, it's sort of, there's a contrast, right? So I actually grew up in Pasadena, California, so not too far from you and really had wonderful parents who, you know, got me into really wonderful schools, supported me and really exposed me to all that's possible um, in terms of you know, being a black intellectual and highly achieved person. And so there was that context, right, that I grew up with my parents and in my church that was incredibly supportive. And I also went to predominantly white schools. I also often felt left out. 
And I really internalized this idea that I needed to be perfect. I needed to be better than, right? I think the message that so many of us black folks grow up with, which is that you need to work three times as hard Mm -hmm. in order to get just as far, right? And so I created this internal narrative for myself where I was saying, I need to be better. I need to be perfect in order to be accepted, in order to fit in, um, in order to be loved. And so that set me on a path of, really intensely pursuing academics. And that's, you know, worked out well for me. I mm-hmm. ended up getting my PhD, which is great. And I was exhausted and I was overworking. And the whole time I was looking for something outside of me in order to make me feel worthy. And it really wasn't until I really, I defended my dissertation. I walked out of that room and realized that I still didn't feel worthy. And it was like this form of heartbreak Mm. because I had worked so very hard for that achievement and that accomplishment. And I had this belief that that was finally going to make me feel worthy and accepted and approved of. And I knew immediately, even though I passed the dissertation defense, that it didn't work Mm. and that I still felt unworthy. And that really set me on a journey of turning inward and starting to use some of my training as a clinical psychologist and as a therapist on myself and starting to sort of find something within myself beyond the achievements and the accomplishments and all these things that we're taught to work for on the outside that I could connect to that makes me unconditionally worthy. Mm. Um, That's a great uh, foundation. Uh, When we come forward, I want to ask, and uh, we will in a moment, uh, what happened with Dr. Gooden when she turned inward, uh, to use her phrase? Uh, that's my that's my that's my query. What happened uh, in her own journey of uh, self discovery, her own journey toward cultivating unconditional self worth when she turned inward? You're listening to Dr. Uh, Adia Gooden on KBLA Talk 1580. Um, you were telling us, Dr. Gooden, uh, in answer to my question about your own personal journey of, of self discovery. Uh, and um, tapping into and cultivating this notion of unconditional self-worth. Uh, and you were at the point of the story where you were telling me uh, that you uh, decided to turn inward. So I ask now, as we continue this conversation, what happened when uh, uh, Adia Gooden turned inward? That's a great question. When I turned inward, what I discovered is that there's something in me and something that I believe is in all of us which makes us inherently unconditionally worthy. I think it's something that we're born with, um, something that connects us to God, a higher power, connects us to other humans, um, that makes us worthy. And I think that it's easiest to conceptualize conceptualize of this when we're thinking about babies, right? Mm -hmm. When babies are born, no one questions whether they are worthy unconditionally of love, care and taking up space, right? Everyone agrees that this baby should be cared for, should be loved, should take up space in the world. And so really what I believe is that we all have that in us for the, our entire lives. And what happens is that as we get older, we start sort of layering these conditions on top of it. So 
well, you're worthy if you act the way we want you to act or if you learn the way we want you to learn or you achieve the way we want you to achieve or whatever it is. But the truth is that we all have that unconditional self-worth, that sort of spirit, that energy within us, and we haven't lost it when we're adults. We just have to reconnect to it. Mm. I'm glad we got the uh, full hour here because we, uh, we've got a lot to talk about, uh, as we say around here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let me start with this. Um, the concept of... Um, conditional versus unconditional self-worth. Talk to me about those two distinct uh, different uh, notions. Yeah. So conditional self-worth is kind of what we're used to. It's you're worthy if you get a degree, you're worthy if you have a job, you're worthy if you make a certain amount of money or if you look a certain way or if you're partnered in a certain way, right? Or And if you don't meet those conditions, that means you're not worthy of love, of care, of respect, right? And so we often operate from that conditional space. And that, that looks like, that interacts with the way we treat ourselves, which I think is the most important, right? So we may punish ourselves, we may overwork ourselves, we may withhold care from ourselves if we're not meeting certain conditions. And it also can um, affect how we interact with other people, right? So we may treat certain people well and other people not well, right? And, and so this really impacts how we move and relate to ourselves and other people in the world. In contrast, the way that I de- describe and define unconditional self-worth is the belief that you deserve to be alive, to be loved and cared for, and to take up space just because you're human. Mm. And so the idea is you don't have to accomplish anything else, right? If we go back to this example of a baby, babies have not accomplished anything, Mm -hmm. right? They have not achieved any, certainly they make us smile and feel good, but that's not why they're worthy of love, care, and respect. And so it's really grounding ourselves in this fact that we are unconditionally worthy. Mm. And this really helps us especially when we're going through hard times, when we're experiencing failures, when things aren't working out the way we hope, if we're, you know, just having a hard time in life, which happens. Mm-hmm. I, I gave a talk not long ago, and I, I, I didn't um, uh, frame it as brilliantly as you are in this hour, but I believe this with every fiber of my being, and I find myself saying it all the time, that when I talk about love in, uh, in, the, in a public sense, for me, love simply means that everybody is equally worthy just because. And that's your point. Mm. Just because. Everybody's somebody's child. Everybody's somebody's kid. And every one of us is equally worthy just because. Not because of all these other extraneous factors that you laid out. Where you went to school and how many degrees you have. And what kind of neighborhood you live in. What kind of car you drive. And all those things that we seem to keep track of. Um um, are, are irrelevant. Uh, and uh, for me, it's just a matter of accepting that every one of us is equally worthy just because, period, hard stop, just because we're human, we're equally worthy. I don't know that many of us believe that. I don't know that we imbibe that. I don't know that we walk mm-hmm. in that. Uh, but it, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's true, uh, not because I said it. It's true because uh, Dr. Gooden said it, and she's the expert here. Um, <laughs> but but I, I, I received that, and, and I, I concur with that. L- let me ask you, though, to the other point you made moments ago, why is it that you think that we treat ourselves so badly? When you said it, it just kind of jumped out at me because it's one thing to be treated badly by others, and certainly as persons who have melanin in our skin, uh, we know what that's like. I had a conversation with a guest the other day who was making the point 
that that we we are uh, we are oftentimes offensive just by our very presence. I mean, you you, you show up, mm. you've already offended somebody just by showing up. You ain't done nothing, you ain't said nothing. Mm. You just walked in the grocery store and as juxtaposed against someone else who looks differently than you, you've already offended just by being present in that body. Uh, people find uh, your presence uh, in and of itself offensive. So it's one thing to be treated badly by other people, but I'm 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 I'm, I'm I want to probe this notion you raised a moment ago uh, about treating ourselves so badly. Why do we do that? Yeah, that is a great question. I think there are a number of reasons. So one is we can internalize the messages of the world, right? So as you're mentioning, right, like being black in America means that we are experiencing many messages that people are unhappy with us breathing, walking, living, right? And we can internalize those messages that come explicitly and implicitly and then start believing that to be true about ourselves. We also can be harsh and critical and treat ourselves poorly because we're trying to protect ourselves, right? It's sort of like an odd way to protect yourself, but it's this idea of if I criticize myself, if I withhold love for myself, then I won't be surprised or as hurt and disappointed when someone else does the same to me. Mm. And so it's this form of self-protection that actually results in self-harm because you're trying to defend against outside attacks, but you're sort of attacking yourself in preparation and it really doesn't work well, but it leaves us feeling like we're protected. The other thing is that often people do, back to sort of internalization, believe that who they are and how they are isn't good enough. So often when I talk to people about in this journey to embracing their unconditional self-worth is forgiving themselves mm. because we often hold things against ourselves. We say, I did A, B, C, X, Y, Z thing and you know, that means that I deserve a life sentence. And I sometimes compare the way people treat themselves and punish themselves to the the way the criminal justice system in the United States treats and punishes black, brown, and poor people, mm. right? We, we say, you, you made this mistake, you did this thing, you harmed someone, and so we're done with you, right? You, no more options, no more choices. And it's incredibly problematic. And we sort of do the same thing to ourselves. It's like we're modeling our self-treatment after how America treats us. I wonder um, if I can pivot to the other issue that we sort of teed up earlier, but I want you to spend some time unpacking, if you will. And that is the, the impact that our childhood experiences have on and in our self-worth journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think they have a lot to do with our self-worth, right? So many times, even if our parents intend to show us love and grace, unfortunately, you know, not all of us have parents like what you described uh, Dr. Joshua Bennett sharing about his parents really showing up for him with this tenderness and this mm -hmm. care and this time. And Often, if we're thinking about sort of the legacies of trauma, specifically in the black community, one of the ways that that can manifest or show up is through harshness, is through harsh and critical parenting that sometimes is about, again, protection, right? Like, I need you to listen to me and I'm going to be harsh because if you don't listen to me, I'm scared that you might not listen when there's a police officer and that may be your life. 
And so there can be sort of this harsh and critical parenting that's ground, that's sort of coming from a place of trauma and fear that communicates to a child that who they are and how they are isn't okay. And that can be internalized. Um, and can cause people to feel like, you know, they're not okay the way they are. They shouldn't be so loud. They shouldn't be so boisterous. They shouldn't be who they are. Mm -hmm. And then we also, you know, are navigating education systems where if you think differently or learn differently, you are probably being told that the way you think, the way you learn, the way you act is not okay. All of these things that um, happened to us in childhood, when we're kids, the conclusion that we make is not, oh, these, these adults have issues and that's why they're treating me this way. It's, I have an issue. I am the problem. That's why I'm being treated this way. And so I'm the problem. There's something wrong with me. I have to change who I am. And often when we become adults, we don't rewrite that narrative. And that's part of the work is rewriting the narrative that we've told ourselves that the conclusions that we made when we were kids about not being good enough. So now you're talking about the role of self-compassion. Uh, in cultivating unconditional self-worth. And when we come forward after news, traffic, and sports on KBLA Talk 1580, we'll come right back to that issue, the role of self-compassion in cultivating unconditional self-worth. I should also tell you, I'm looking at my notes here, things I want to just uh, ask her about as she continues to unpack in this hour, uh, the connection obviously between self-worth and mental health. Uh, and then, of course, uh, later in this hour, we'll get some strategies that you can uh, engage for cultivating your own unconditional self-worth so we ain't quite there yet we got a ways to go uh and we'll continue this journey with dr uh, adia gooden when we come forward on kbla talk 1580 by the ad council this is kbla talk 1580 where hate loses and love wins i'm tabby smiley we're glad to have you in with us in this hour um i now have some more uh, information for you uh regarding the uh, case of usa v mrt I told you earlier in today's program that they, uh, the jury came back with note number seven, uh, asking to deliberate until 4.30 p.m. today, in case you've just tuned in. Note number eight was a particular question. Uh, the question exactly um, is the following. Uh, is official action taken, intended, uh, or to be influenced or rewarded concerning county business unlawful? Um, our justice correspondent, Dion Raymond, has just checked in, as I told you uh, minutes ago, that they had been called back in the courtroom. So we do not have a verdict as yet. But we are now up to question number nine. Uh, I don't know <laughs> as often as I've uh, you know, followed these cases uh, that uh, that uh, appeal to us for a variety of reasons on television and radio over my 30 year career that I've ever uh, followed a case this closely where there were so many questions. I mean, they're just. It's as if, you know, maybe I shouldn't say this. It's, it's as if they, they weren't paying attention on some level um, or don't understand what the case is about. But they keep coming back with all these questions. They're up to question number nine now. Uh, so according to our justice correspondent, Dion Raymond, question number nine has to do with uh, honest services, mail and wire fraud charges. So they have a specific question uh, about um, uh, the mail and wire fraud charges in this case. There are now 19 or so charges that were brought against uh, Mark Whitney Thomas in this case. Uh, and so it appears, uh, as I'm following this, they're running down the list. They're going through the list of these charges and trying to figure out what's what. Uh, and so they are now uh, to the uh, at the point uh, on the list uh, where the mail and wire fraud charges are concerned. Uh, 
And that's what they were asking the judge about uh, with note number nine, the honest services mail and wire fraud charges brought against Ridley Thomas in these 19 charges from um, the U.S. government. So we are we're, a bit of a, we're on a bit of a roller coaster ride here. Um, some questions I read uh, that seem to be more uh, helpful uh, to accounts from Ridley Thomas. Other questions I read, not sure what to make of it. Uh, I am not an attorney. I don't even play one on television. Um, but, uh, um, it, it seems that somebody or somebody's are hanging up this, this case that I, that I am certain of. There's no way you get to nine questions and, uh, in your deliberations and somebody or somebody's are not holding this thing up. So if this thing, if there were a verdict right now, my sense is it'd be a hung jury. Uh, and uh, that's just the way it's reading. You, you, you can't have this many questions without uh, having a room full of people that are clearly not all on the same page. So if I were a betting man, I am not. I'd bet if the verdict were to come in right now, it'd be a hung jury. Uh, what that number looks like, what the split is, I do not know. Whether or not they'd be trying Mark Woody Thomas, the government, I do not know. But clearly there's a split. There's a divide in this jury room. Uh, four days later as they deliberate and they keep asking these questions. That's all I got for you right now. Uh, we got uh, another 20 minutes left in this hour. If anything happens between now and then, uh, I will bring it to you. Uh, and I apologize for our, to our guest, Dr. Uh, Adia Gooden, who's been very patient and, and, and brilliant and beautiful in this conversation. But this is a major story uh, that we're tracking here. And again, as you already know, tune in today at 4.35 p.m. to Ariva Martin in real time when Ariva and our justice correspondent, Dion Raymond will continue uh, to download you on all that happened uh, in the courtroom today. But I just uh, as we get closer, apparently, to some kind of uh, verdict, uh, we want to make sure that we, uh, as we always do, uh, bring it to you as quickly as we get it and in real time. So there you have it. Uh, uh, note number nine. You know what it's about. And uh, again, if there's anything that I can share between now and four o'clock, uh, we'll get it to you. Otherwise, tune in at 435 for Reva, who will take you through the whole day. And all the details what happened in this courtroom. Again, we thank Dr. Adia Gooden for her patience in this regard. Before news, traffic, and sports, and before that breaking news <laughs> about this case, um, you were you were starting to you, you were tiptoeing toward uh, a conversation about the role of self compassion in cultivating unconditional self-worth. And in case you've just tuned in, that's what we're talking about in this hour uh, with Dr. Uh, Adia Gooden, this notion of how we go about con uh, cultivating in our own lives, not conditional, but unconditional self-worth. She unpacked the distinct difference between those two things earlier in this conversation. We also talked about the impact of childhood experiences on uh, developing and cultivating our self-worth. And now I want to ask her a question expressly about the role of self-compassion in cultivating unconditional self-worth. Dr. Gooden, take it away. Thanks so much. So I think self-compassion is one of the most powerful practices or tools that we can use on our journey, our self-worth journey. And there's actually research that shows that practicing self-compassion helps to improve people's sense of self-worth. I encourage people to think about self-compassion in three main ways. And these phrases, I think, are make it easy to remember, which is, I see you, I accept you, I affirm you. And so self-compassion is really about first seeing ourselves, right? How do we actually feel, right? What is it that we're experiencing? So many of us go through life not paying attention to ourselves. And so I see you is really about 
checking in with yourself, tuning in with yourself, your, your mind, your body, your spirit. How are you doing? Are you stressed? Are you exhausted? Are you excited? What's going on? So tuning in is that I see you part. Then there's the I, I accept you. So many of us spend a lot of time criticizing ourselves. As we were talking about before, we mm-hmm. think I should be different. I should look different. I should act different. I shouldn't feel this way, right? And so I accept you is about accepting how you're feeling, accepting what's going on, right? And not judging yourself for it. Because when you add that layer of judgment, you just make yourself feel worse. And there are other ways to acknowledge mistakes you've made, take accountability and move forward that don't need to come with the criticism and the harshness. And then the last part is I affirm you, right? And we hear a lot these days about affirmations. And this doesn't mean that you have to be saying to yourself that you're the most perfect person ever. (laughs) What it can mean is saying, I'm okay. I got this. I'm still worthy, right? I'm in process. I'm learning and growing. I still love myself, right? So offering some affirmation for who you are, not because of conditions, but because you're human, as we've been talking about earlier. And so these three sort of practices, seeing yourself, accepting yourself, and affirming yourself, really will go a long way in terms of building a healthy relationship with yourself and helping people to feel more worthy overall. Speaking of health and feeling worthy, talk to me now about the connection between uh, self-worth and mental health. Yeah, there's a huge connection. So I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and I've spent thousands of hours sitting with clients in therapy. And what I uncovered and saw over, you know, all of these hours and over years is that there was a pattern of people struggling with mental health challenges like anxiety and depression um, and even trauma and feeling on un- people feeling unworthy. And sometimes that sort of relationship was interactive. So people might go through a trauma and that might cause them to feel unworthy. And then sometimes the belief that people were unworthy caused them to feel depressed, depressed and harsh and critical, caused them to feel anxious and not trust themselves and not trust life and that good things would come for their efforts. And so often what I find is that when people embrace their unconditional self-worth, their mental health challenges reduce, right? They're feeling less anxious. They're feeling less depressed. They're healing from the trauma because all of those mental health challenges really are connected to a belief that you're not worthy, that you're not good enough, that you don't deserve love and care. And so when we can start affirming ourselves, practicing self-compassion, taking care of ourselves, that helps to reduce the challenges we experience in terms of mental health. Mm -hmm. How how do we go about navigating relationships with people who, um, how can I put this uh, uh, charitably, (laughs) who have different (laughs) self-worth levels? Does that make sense to you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I think the first thing I would encourage is to, just as you're practicing offering yourself grace, offer grace to other people, right? We usually don't know people's whole story. Mm -hmm. We usually don't know people's full story of everything that happened in their childhood, everything they've gone through, the challenges. And sometimes self-worth challenges can show up as people feeling like a victim, people feeling like they don't have agency in their lives. That can be a way. And sometimes it can show up as 
narcissism, right? Like over arrogance, people saying that they're better than everyone else, right? Mm -hmm. And so it can show up on these extremes. And part of the practice of offering ourselves compassion helps us to offer other people grace and compassion. Now, that does not mean that you have to be in relationship, in close relationship with someone who is harmful to you or stressful to you, right? All of those things, you can still set boundaries. And I think it can be useful to remember, you know what, there's a whole lot of this person's story that got them to this place that I don't understand, that I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I am going to sort of acknowledge that and then figure out how I want to navigate the relationship with them in a way that prioritizes my safety Mm -hmm. and make sure that I'm not you know, engaging with someone who's constantly trying to tear down my self-worth. Yeah. Uh, it's been a fascinating week for me. Uh, it's only Wednesday, so we'll see see how the rest of the week goes. But it's one of those weeks where I, I, I found myself, uh, Dr. Gooden, reminding myself many times this week, uh, to your point, to save space for grace. Uh, that's the, uh, the note from Tavis to Tavis this week, to save space for grace. More of our conversation with Dr. Adia Gooden, when we come forward on KBLA Talk 15. Yes, indeed, with our guest, Dr. Adia Gooden, uh, licensed clinical psychologist, and we've been talking in this hour as we are continuing to discuss this notion of how we go about uh, being better at cultivating unconditional self-worth as opposed to conditional self-worth, uh, and it's been a rich conversation. A few other things I want to get to, watching my time here between now and the top of the hour. Um, so we were talking uh, a moment ago about... Um, uh, uh, this notion of uh, self-compassion uh, in cultivating unconditional self-worth. We talked about uh, the connection between self-worth and, and mental health. We talked about uh, navigating relationships with others who have uh, different levels. We'll, we'll be generous here. <laughs> different levels of self-worth. Uh, and I made the point that this is one of those weeks for me where I'm trying to save space for grace. Uh, uh, it's an interesting week, and we all have those sorts of days in our lives, right, where you got to be graceful uh, and gracious uh, to other people. Um, but let me pivot to two other things I want to uh, cover if, if we have time before now and the top of the hour, between now and the top of the hour. Um, and, th- and that is this notion of the messages that we get from the media. And I'm not talking about the mainstream media. I'm talking about um, uh, social media. I'm talking about Madison Avenue. All those societal messages that come at us that we uh, uh, in, end up imbibing uh, that impact uh, the way we see ourselves and the journey that we are on to cultivating, as you would put it, unconditional self-worth. How do we process that? How do we tune that out? How do we, whatever the word is, how, how do we deal with it, Dr. Good? It's mm, such a great question. I think the first thing is just recognizing that it's big business to get us to feel and believe that we have to buy something in order to be more worthy, Mm, right? mm -hmm. Companies are making, you know, like billions of dollars, right, are made, whether it's the makeup industry or uh, the car industry or the clothing industry, the fashion industry. And that's not to say that those things are bad in and of themselves. And often the messaging is, you will be more worthy, more loved, more accepted, and more happy if you buy these things, right? That's that's the sort of through line in terms of the message. And then now we have social media, right? Where we're sort of constantly looking at the highlight reel of other people's lives and seeing, oh, maybe, and there's sort of this 
often belief that maybe if I looked like them, if I talked like them, if I had what they had, then I would be worthy. And so I think the first thing is just recognition because when this operates in the background, when it's in our unconscious, then we can't make a conscious choice about, do I actually believe this? Do I actually believe that having a different car is going to make me more worthy? Mm. Do I actually believe that, you know, having the perfect makeup is going to make me more worthy? And so it's important to sort of bring these things in the foreground, recognize what's happening so that then we can make a choice with our agency and our power about how we want to engage in the media. And then I think it's really important and helpful to you to do a curation process, right? So if there are people and accounts that you're following on social media, if there are, you know, news outlets or, you know, outlets that really just are making you feel bad about yourself, try to cut them out, right? Like stop listening to them or stop following them because just listening to messages that make you feel not good enough is incredibly unhelpful in terms of how you feel about yourself, your self-worth, and how you show up in the world. In our remaining moments with Dr. Gooden, I want to uh, close, uh, which has been a very uh, uh, beautiful conversation, uh, with offering you, well, I'm not going to offer it. She's going to offer it. I'm going to tear up for this. Offering you some strategies uh, for cultivating unconditional self-worth in the life that you are living and the legacy that you are leaving. Uh, our final moments with Dr. Adia Gooden when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Thank you. So I've mentioned a couple during our conversation, self-forgiveness, self-compassion. And another one that I want to share with people is practicing self-acceptance. Mm. And I think this is really powerful and particularly for black people who have all, we get all these messages that we should be different the way than the way we are. And so I really encourage people to accept and love themselves as they are, right? So let go of the idea that you need to be different, that you need to change yourself in order to be worthy and lovable. And I want you to think about what are your gifts? What are your strengths? What are your unique talents and things that make you you that you can fully accept and embrace and then give and share in the world? This doesn't mean that you don't have room to grow and evolve because certainly all of us have room to grow and evolve. And the best place to start personal growth is through self-acceptance. And so I want to encourage people to let go of the harsh judgment and feeling like they need to be different than they are and find places that they can fully accept and embrace themselves. You may have already just answered this, but I want to just put a finer point on it. Um, when you say uh, that one of the ways that uh, we can cultivate uh, unconditional self-worth is through self-acceptance. I get it uh, loud and clear. No, no, no issue with that. Um, but what say you to persons who you are counseling or working with uh, when you hear self-doubt, when you hear imposter syndrome? How do you how do you help them work through that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think. Some of it is asking, where does that come from, right? Where does the self-doubt come from? Where does the imposter syndrome come from? If it's coming from an outside message that says you're not good enough, we don't think you're smart enough, we don't think you deserve to be here, then we want to look at that and say, well, do you really want to listen to these people and these messages that are saying that to you? If it's coming from internally, often it's coming from a sense of, I don't know everything. I'm not perfect. What if I get it wrong? And then we have to work through, it's okay to be uncomfortable sometimes in our learning, growth, and evolution process when we're stepping out, 
when we're doing something new, when we're tapping to, into our power, it often is uncomfortable, but that doesn't mean that we can't do it, that we're not good enough, or that we're imposters. And so it's about working with that and acknowledging that some of these things are normal human emotions, and they don't mean that we're unworthy. If you want more, uh, go online and find her very, very, very popular TED Talk called Cultivating unconditional self-worth. We uh, tried to unpack some of that uh, in this hour, uh, but an amazing uh, TED Talk that you might want to uh, look out uh, for uh, yourself or for others that you might want to share it with. She's a licensed clinical psychologist uh, educated at Stanford and DePaul, and I have uh, delighted in having her on uh, in this hour talking about how we can uh, better cultivate unconditional self-worth in our own lives. Dr. Gooden, thank you for your work and witness. Good to have you on. All the best to you. Thank you so much for having me. It was an honor. The honor was all mine. Trust and believe. Thank you for your time. Time to make room now for the KBLA Midday Money Chain. Up next, the Millionaire's Roundtable with Lynn Richardson, followed by Ahead of Crypto Curve with Naja Roberts. Either way, old money, new money, we got you covered uh, here on KBLA Talk 1580. Stay tuned throughout the day for updates on the case of USA v. MRT. Be sure to tune in at 435 today for Weaver Martin in real time. We should be joined by our justice correspondent, Dion Raymond, to download you on all the details of this busy day in the courtroom. Until tomorrow morning, thanks for tuning in. And as always, keep the faith. <laughs>